morning from Revelation chapter 12. And for you folks who are guests with us, uh, we want you to know we uh, each week what we do around here is we open the Word of God to a particular book of the Bible that we're studying. And we just begin in verse 1 and work our way through the entire book, trying to keep it just the way that God wrote it to us. And we have been almost the last year and a half now in the book of Revelation. We've made our way now to Revelation chapter 12. And this morning we're only going to be able to, to hit two verses. I know for you folks that have been here forever and a day, that just comes as a real shock to you that we'd only cover two verses in an entire morning and a pretty long one at that. But uh, these are really two of the most important verses in this entire chapter. And if you're really going to understand those, you're going to have to at least see what's all around them. So we're going to do something that we don't normally do. We're going to read the entire 12th chapter. It's, it's not that long. I think you can stay awake through it. But uh, if you're not already there, why don't you go to Revelation chapter 12, and we'll begin in verse 1. It says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and her, uh, upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to, to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a, a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood with the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And let's pray together. 
Now, Lord, if I were the dragon, if I were, the, were Satan himself this morning, in light of the passage that we're going to be talking about today, in light of the subject that we're going to be talking about today, if I were him, I would do whatever I could possibly do to keep people distracted, to keep people from seeing the incredible truth of, of this chapter. And so today we want to ask you, Lord, to do what only you can. I pray that you would remove every spirit other than your spirit from this room. I pray that our minds, our hearts, our spirits, our very souls would be attentive to the things that, that you want us to see from your word this morning. And Lord, we recognize that there are people that are here today that you have, by your sovereign design, brought to this room for such a time as this because you want to reveal to them the truth of your word and you want them to begin to see what this thing of life is, is really all about and to be able to see uh, the other half of reality that is taking place in the spirit world above our heads. And I pray today through your word, you would draw people to yourself. May this be the day that they are forgiven of their sin and born into your family. And those of us that do know you, again, Lord, show us the urgency of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I, I, I say this so often, one of the most treasured commodities on this entire planet, in fact, in my estimation, the most treasured commodity that we have is this book that we're holding in our hands today. If you didn't have this book, you wouldn't have a clue as to what was really going on in life, in the world. You wouldn't have a clue as to what God really wanted for you. And one of the most incredible things about the Bible, and God made it this way so that we wouldn't have any doubt as to what this book really was, but one of the most incredible things about the Bible is its incredible consistency. In the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and, and verse 15, God is, in, in that verse, pointing out the direction of history. And in Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 15, there are three characters that are introduced, and I want you to listen to who they are. There is a woman, there is a serpent, and there is a child. A woman, a serpent, and a child. And coincidentally enough, here we find ourselves today in the book of Revelation where God is wrapping up all of history. And he, what we find in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, is the three characters that we've been dealing with in the first five verses over the last several weeks are, coincidentally enough, a woman and a serpent and a child. And of course, the, the serpent is this dragon. But you'll notice in verse 9, he's referred to as a serpent. And you know what a dragon is, right? It's a flying serpent. It's literally what it is. And what you see is God is starting something here at the beginning. A woman, a dragon, a serpent, and a child. And he comes to the end of this thing, and, and you've got the same exact thing repeated once again. And what we've seen over the last several weeks is that God came down in the garden, and this is what's going on in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. What took place there is God came down into the garden, 
And he gave in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 the, real, the first real prophecy and promise of Scripture. And in our paraphrase, what we've seen is that, that God came down into that garden after Satan had tempted the man and the woman to sin. And God came down and he got in Satan's face and he says this. He says, I want you to know something, pal. There is a child who is going to come from the seed of the woman. And yeah, you, you'll, bruise, you'll bruise his heel. But that child is going to end up one day, that child is going to end up crushing your head. And of course, that child we know is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you begin to trace this thing all the way down through the Bible, and you finally land here in Revelation chapter 12, what you find is that woman through which the seed would come was none other than the woman that we know as Israel, the nation of Israel. And buddy, if you want to know what has been the driving force behind the anti-Semitism down through the history of civilization, listen, you don't need to look past Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Listen, the Jews, the nation of Israel, the Jews have been the most hated, despised, persecuted, tortured, and murdered people on the face of this planet all the way down through the centuries. And the reason for it is, folks, that the devil knows that one day there would be a young Jewish virgin who would conceive and would give birth to the Son of God, and that Son of God would wind up one of these days kicking the snot out of him, and Satan didn't like it, and as soon as God laid down that principle in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, he got all up in arms, and he said, I'm going to do whatever I can possibly do to stop this thing from happening. And what you find out is the one thing that men learn from history is what? They never learn from history. Now this thing has been going on for century after century after century now. And nobody can quite figure it out. Because you know what man does when he starts to study history? He asks the wrong questions and he begins to delve into the wrong issues. He comes into history and he asks the who, what, when, where questions. Now that's all... Important when it comes to history and those things will give you dates and they'll give you facts and they'll give you people and they'll give you events But the question that you need to make sure that you understand when you're studying history is why And if you miss the why behind the who what when where you don't know Jack other than a bunch of facts and that in about 50 cents will buy you a cup of coffee down at McDonald's It's of no value and you see, if you take out Genesis 3.15, if you take that out from the course of history, and you know what? You can't make heads or tails why it is that the nation of Israel is such a despised people on this planet. You can't see what's really going on there. But once you find out what God said in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, then all of a sudden you begin to understand some things. You begin to understand some things about your Bible. You begin to understand what's behind these things that you're seeing in the Bible. For example, you begin to see what's behind the murder of Abel 
in, uh, in, in Genesis chapter 4 where, where Cain comes and he, and he thumps him in Genesis chapter 4. You, you know what that's, that whole thing's really about? It is Satan trying to destroy that seed that was one day going to crush his head. Yeah, he, he, he's stabbing at him. But you know who he's really stabbing at? He's really stabbing at that seed. And not only that, it was what was behind what you find in Genesis chapter 6, where the sons of God are coming down and cohabitating with the daughters of men. In other words, they were coming down, these sons of God, these demonic spirits, are coming down and having sexual relations with the women on the earth. And you know what's going on there, folks? I mean, if you understand Genesis 3.15, you don't need anybody to tell you what's going on there. You know what's going on? Satan is trying to corrupt that seed. And if you don't think that Satan has seed, you might want to just flip back to Genesis 3.15 and check it out. Because God said, I'll put enmity between thy seed and her seed. And listen, Genesis chapter 6 by the time you get out of that chapter, this earth is so corrupt and the people of this earth are so corrupt that God ends up wiping out the whole human, human race with the exception of Noah and his family and he starts over with them. But what you begin to see is Satan is coming against that seed. He's coming against that seed because he knows what that seed is ultimately going to do. But not only that, it was what was behind what we find in Exodus chapter 1 and 2 where Satan, through Pharaoh, was seeking to wipe out the Hebrew nation. Now again, you, you would think that somebody somewhere along the way would you just stop and say, now what is up with this? Why does this thing still keep happening? But you know what? Men have gone to the course of history and they've never asked just what is it that makes these people in Israel, what is it that makes these Jews such a hated, despised gr group of people on this planet? But, but what Satan does, he comes down through Pharaoh, he wants to wipe out every male child in the Hebrew nation that was born of a Jewish woman. You know what it was? It's Satan coming against that seed by the time you get to the book of Ezra. You know, you know what's happening in the book of Ezra? The Jewish young men and the Jewish young ladies are intermarrying with the cursed nations of the world. And he, he lists them for you there in Ezra chapter 9 and verse 2. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Mosquito Bites, the Egyptians, the Amorites, the, the whole deal. I mean, he goes through this whole list of all these despised people that the children of Israel were intermarrying with, and Ezra gets word of it. And you know, you know how it came to Ezra? You know how word of it came to Ezra? You don't want to miss this. Listen, here's how it came. Ezra's the prophet of God. And they come to Ezra and they say, Listen, the holy... Take a wild stab. The holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. And you know what the deal is? Satan's behind that whole thing, guys, trying to corrupt that seed. Somebody's coming against that seed. That seed, that seed, and it's all the way through the Old Testament. Somebody coming against that seed. The holy seed have mingled themselves together with these 
despised groups. And you know what happens to Ezra when he finds out? He literally goes berserk. We've talked about this before. The man pulls out his beard. He pulls out his hair and he sits down on the ground and won't move a muscle for hours on end. You know why? Ezra knew what the score was. The holy seed is getting corrupted. And I mean, folks, listen, you can trace this anti-Semitism thing all the way through the entire Old Testament. You see it again in the book of Esther in chapter 3, when this time Satan works through a man by the name of Haman to make a decree to destroy the Jewish race. And what comes down there is, is Haman tells the, the king that a decree ought to be passed because the Jews were following a different set of laws than all of the rest of the people in the king's kingdom. So we ought to have passed this law to wipe them all out. But listen, don't you think for a minute that the issue had to do anything whatsoever with their laws. The issue there in Esther chapter 3 is the same issue it's been all the way down through the centuries. Somebody's coming against that seed. And you see, Satan knew that if he didn't come against that seed, that one of these days, that one that would come of that seed would end up bashing his head in. And that's what's going on all the way through this thing. And when we come to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 2, that's what all this is talking about. Look at verse 2. The woman, Israel, being with child, cried, travailing in birth. Now, you, you ladies thought that you had a hard job with nine months of this thing. The nation of Israel was in the process of giving birth to the Son of God for 4,000 years. Can you imagine that, ladies? I mean, you talk about a travailing birth, man. She's, she cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. It was a travailing, painful, tearful process. But finally, after 4,000 years, and Satan doing everything within his power to try to stop it and make it just as difficult as he could possibly make it, after 4,000 years, it happened, man. It happened. A godly little teenage Jewish girl had miraculously conceived in her womb by the Holy Ghost, having never known a man, and she delivered the one. She delivered that one that was promised back in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 15. She delivered that one who 33 and a half years later would deliver her, and for the next 2,000 years would deliver every sinner who would ever call upon his name. And he, she delivered that one who in just about seven years or so from now at the second coming of Christ will deliver that crushing blow to Satan's head. And buddy, don't think for a minute, don't think for a minute that when that woman delivered that Satan would just sit idly by going, what a bummer, I guess that's just the end of that whole deal. Look at the middle of verse 4. It says... And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. He couldn't stop him from being born, though he tried everything within his power to try to keep it from happening. But just as soon as he was born, 
Satan, this verse will let you know, Satan was bound and determined to make sure that he wiped him out before he could atone for the sins of the world. And if you want to find out whether he was successful or not, God lays it down in verse 5 as only he can. Look at this. Now, at the end of verse 4, it ends with Satan there ready to kill the Lord Jesus Christ as soon as he was born. And verse 5 says that he was born. And she brought forth a man child, and not just any child. This is the one that was promised back in Genesis 3.15. The one, look at what it says, who will rule all nations with a rod of iron. That's the man child that the woman brought forth. So the first part of verse 5, now watch this now. The first part of verse 5 is in reference to his birth. When the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth. And if you want to know whether or not Satan wiped him out or not, in the next part of the verse, in the next part of the, the very sentence in verse 5, what God does here is he skips 33 and a half years and he brings you to how the Lord Jesus Christ left this earth. At the beginning of the verse, it's how he came to the earth. In the last part of the verse, it's how he left this earth. The rest of verse 5 says, And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne and what God's trying to let you know in verse 5 is that Jesus Christ came to this planet and he accomplished just what he came to this earth to accomplish and when he was all finished he ascended up to the throne of God and he sat down and God takes you in verse 5 right from his birth to his ascension and you know what he's wanting to do he's just wanting to accentuate that victory he was born and Satan was there to devour him, but when it was all said and done, he ended up at the throne of God on the right hand of God in victory and in power and in glory. And if you want to know the details that God left out between those two verses, you know what he did? He gave you four separate accounts of that thing that we call, what? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you want me to concise those accounts for you, it, it goes like this. After he was born, that's the first part of the verse, after he was born, he lived a sinless life on this planet for 33 and a half years. And after those 33 and a half years, he was finally taken to an old rugged cross where he laid his life down to pay for the sins of the world. And on that cross, he shed his blood that John had told us before, taketh away the sin of the world. He shed his blood and he laid his life down. He died. And then they took that cold, mangled, physical body of his and they placed it in a tomb. But though his body went into that tomb, the Bible says that his soul, his spirit and his soul descended down into paradise, into the lower parts of the earth where the souls and spirits of Old Testament saints were down in the, the heart of the earth. And it's, the Bible tells us that he preached to them for three solid days. And while his cold, lifeless body was laying up there in the tomb, in the earth, all of a sudden on that third day, something began to happen down in the center part of the earth and what he did is he led those Old Testament saints he led the entire crowd right out of there right on past the earth and right up into the clouds of glory where the, the, the throne of God is and while he was on his way he moved back into that body that was laying into that tomb and as soon as he did the stone 
rolled away from the door because sin and death and hell and the grave had been conquered. And after he did that, he spent 40 days with his disciples talking to them and teaching them the things that they needed to know about the kingdom of God. And after 40 days, on that 40th day, you know what he did? He gathered those guys together on a mountainside and he stood in the exact location where he'll first stand when he comes at his second coming. And while he was standing there, the last part of verse 5, Revelation 12, verse 5, while he's standing right there in that location, verse 5, the end of verse 5 was fulfilled right before the disciples' eyes and they watched as he was caught up unto God and to his throne. And God's wanting you to know in verse 5, the devil tried to devour that seed at his birth. And he thought that he had done it when he had come to the cross. But three days later, Christ rose from the dead and he's seated today at the right hand of victory and power at the very throne of God. The devil tried to devour the seed. And God's letting you know in verse 5, he couldn't. And so check out the way this thing shook down in history. The first 4,000 years before the birth of Christ, the dragon, as we've seen, was coming against the woman. He was coming against Israel because he knew that Israel would be the one through which the seed would come. God pointed that out in Genesis 3.15. And he knew, okay, Israel's going to be the one through which the seed will come. But what's interesting is once Christ came, the anti-Semitism did not stop. Listen, for the last 2,000 years, Satan has hated and persecuted and tortured and murdered Israel because she was the one through which the seed did come. You see, all along, he's all hacked and he's going to do everything that he can do to keep it from happening. And so he makes it a long travailing process. But now that she's delivered, he's meeting out his judgment upon Israel because she is the one through which the seed did come. You see, folks, it was Israel that brought forth the incorruptible seed that was called the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It was Israel that brought forth the incorruptible seed that is called the Word of God by which we are born again, according to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. And I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about it, but you see, Israel is the one that's behind this book. Because every single book in this Bible was written by somebody from Israel. And you see, that dragon hates the Word of God because according to John chapter 1 and verse 1 and verse 14... This book is who, y'all? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word of God. And so He comes against the seed, the incorruptible seed of the Lamb of God, the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And you know what? If you want to know why He hates Israel... I mean, if those things weren't enough, have you ever stopped to think about the fact that it's Israel who has received the promise of inheriting the earth? And listen, this earth 
just happens to be the domain over which Satan has presided as the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. He presides on this earth as the God of this world, and he's done so for the last 6,000 years. And I mean to tell you, Israel is going to be the one that is going to take his domain going to take his kingdom and buddy you put all those things together and he hates Israel they brought forth the Son of God they brought forth the Word of God and they're gonna take his domain on this planet but listen more than anything else he hates Israel he hates that woman because she brought forth the Lord Jesus Christ and folks you gotta understand that has been what has been behind all of the atrocities that have been meted out on the Jews for the last 2,000 years since the birth of Christ. And we went and took a little journey back there in the Old Testament to see what was behind, what was going on. Let me tell you what's been going on in the last 2,000 years and what's been behind all of this deal. You see, because Israel brought forth the Lord Jesus Christ it was what was behind the Roman general Titus coming in and absolutely destroying Jerusalem in 70 AD and you know what happened on that event 500 Jews were crucified outside the city walls and in the midst of that siege listen the Israelites the Jews were starving to the point and you can read this in in, in Josephus writings it was to the point that the Jews were actually boiling their children and eating their children. Somebody's coming against that woman. It was what was behind the hatred of the Roman Emperor Hadrian in 135 AD. Listen to this. Who had 580,000 Jews killed. It was what was behind King Canute banishing all of the Jews from England's shores in 1020 A.D. And then King Edward I in 1272 A.D. confiscating all of the, the Jewish property and exiling 16,500 Jews out of the country of England. The same thing happened in France in 1306 where 100,000 Jews were stripped of their property and their possessions and were then exiled. Between the years of 1345 and 1350, Catholics were burning Jews in Germany. And you know what their crime was? The Jews were being accused by the Roman Catholic Church of taking Catholic children and eating them as Passover lambs. During that same period of time in the mid-1300s, you remember when we studied this in school that the Black Plague was sweeping through Europe killing thousands and hundreds of thousands of people all over Europe. But I don't know if you remember studying this or if, if you even got this in, in your study of history. But the Jews, Jews didn't fall prey to the Black Death. You see, God had laid down some laws back there in the book of Leviticus that had to do with matters that dealt with the, your, your, your sanitary the, the, the things that have to do with your cleanliness. God laid those things down, and since the Jews were following those things, they weren't affected by the Black Death, and because there weren't any Jews dying, you can already see it, can't you? You know what's going to happen. The Jews are what's behind this thing.
they're doing something and so you know what happened because none of the Jews were being killed by the black death they died anyway and all over Germany and all over France thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of, are, of Jews are killed because they weren't being killed by the black death that same year that Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue Dominican Catholics back in his home country of, of Spain were busy driving out every single Jew out of their country and in 1546 at the Council of Trent every Jew on this planet was officially anathematized by the Roman Catholic Church and if you don't understand what anathematized is it means they were damned it means they were cursed and if the world was ever looking for a reason to do away with Jews now they had it buddy in 1684 in and around Austria check it out over 800,000 Jews were killed in 1916 to 1918 thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jews were killed in the Russian Revolution and of course you know what happened in 1938 under a, a German by the name of Adolf Hitler the Jews were not only stripped of their property they were also stripped of their skin. They were hung with, with barbed wire. They were starved to death in concentration camps. They, they were drugged into huge factories where they were absolutely annihilated in gas ovens. Conservative estimates say that over 5 million Jews died in that Holocaust. And buddy, now listen. Don't ever lose sight of what's behind that thing. Don't ever lose sight of what's, what's motivating that whole thing. In the Ukraine, between the years of 1943 and 1945, over 500,000 Jews were butchered. A half a million of them! And, and, and I, I, I know that you, you know this. I'm just giving you right now, I'm just giving you the Reader's Digest. I mean, we haven't even talked about Muhammad and the Arabs and, and all of that kind of a deal. I mean... You know, you would just think that somewhere, some historian would just come through all what has come uh, uh, down on the nation of Israel and the Jews and that, that race of people, you would just think that some historian somewhere would say, Hey, we got to figure this thing out. Why in the world is all this happening? But all I can do is record events and dates and people and figures and all of that stuff. And you know what? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Until you begin to see that woman, Israel, is the one that gave birth to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and is going to smash, literally, the devil out of Satan and is going to crush his stinking head and cast him into the bottomless pit and he knows it and he doesn't like it and he's going to come against that woman and it's time that we started saying alright, alright I think I'm understanding what's going on here but nobody stops to ask what is this thing really all about and listen Revelation 12 tells you what it's all about. It's all about that woman that God calls Israel, giving birth to the one that Satan knows is getting ready to knock his lights out. And what we're going to see in Revelation 12 this morning is that because of that, because Satan knows what's going to happen, 
the anti-Semitism on this planet, folks, is not going to get better in the next several years. In fact, it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. And so we can see how the, the whole chapter fits together. Uh, let me remind you the outline that we've been using here in, in, in chapter 12. Verse 1 introduced us to the first main point in the chapter. Roman numeral 1 is a, a great wonder in heaven. We've spent quite, quite a bit of time in verses 1 through 5 over the last several weeks identifying the characters in these verses, the woman, the, the great red dragon, and the child. And as we've already seen this morning, the woman is and can only be Israel. The great red dragon is and can only be Satan. And the child obviously is and can only be the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've spent so much time on those because a lot of people get themselves just totally messed up in the book of Revelation because they misidentify those three characters in the first part of chapter 12. But not only do people get themselves messed up by misidentifying the characters in this chapter, they also get themselves messed up by misidentifying the context. And so this is letter B on your outline, identifying the context. We've identified the characters now let's identify the context. And you see, the, the reason that people have such a hard time understanding the context of Revelation chapter 12 is you'll notice back in verse 4 that it says in, in reference to the great red dragon, look at what it says, that his tail drew the third part of the stars. And of course, John has already told us uh, back in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20 who the stars are, right? They're the angels. So here is Satan, the great red dragon, and with his tail he draws a third part of the stars, or the angels, and verse 4 goes on, and did cast them to the earth, and drop down to verse 7, and there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven, and the great red dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And you see the confusion comes in chapter 12 because people assume that because the Bible says in Ezekiel 28 and in Isaiah 14 that Lucifer, who in eternity past was created by God as the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God, bearing the light of God's glory as the most incredible, the most spectacular and beautiful and powerful of all God's creation. And because the Bible records that at a time before the creation of man, Lucifer, in his pride, sought the place and the position of God, and by so doing, declared war against God. And as a result, he fell from heaven along with a third of the angels who followed him in his rebellion. And because of that, Lucifer then became, rather than the anointed cherub that covered, he became a great red dragon. Look, look back in verse 3 having seven heads, seven crowns upon those heads, along with ten horns. And verse 3 de de describes uh, that, that whole deal of what he became after he fell. He became God's adversary and the great deceiver of the people uh, of the world, as verse 9 describes. And you see, because all of these things were true in eternity past, when Lucifer fell from heaven, and that, that whole gig that we just went through there, what happens is because that happened in the past, people come to chapter 12 and they start wanting to push the context of this chapter into some past period of time when actually the context in chapter 12 is pointing to events that are going to be taking place 
in the future. And if you're a student of the Bible and if you're a believer of the Bible, you know that the events that he's talking about here in Revelation chapter 12 are events that are going to take place not just in the future, but in the very near future, where in the very near future there is going to literally be a war in heaven, a war that nobody on this planet will actually see taking place, but the effects of which every person on this planet will realize as Michael the archangel and his angels fight with Satan and his angels and Satan and his demons are removed out of the heaven and literally take up residence on this earth. That's going to happen, folks, in the very near future. And the end of verse 12 says that when Satan gets here, it'll be with a great wrath. And verse 13 says that he'll take his out his wrath by persecuting the woman which brought forth the man-child. In other words, just like he's always done, by persecuting the nation of Israel. And you see, that, that, that's, that's a very crucial point to understand if you're going to properly identify the context. Though some of these things that we read here did take place in the past, the context here is pointing to the fact that these are things that are going to be taking place in the future. And that's why verse 6 says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And drop down to verse 14. This is why verse 14 says, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. You see, these are the two verses that set the context for us in chapter 12. And, and really, for everything that we're going to see, all, not only in chapter 12, but also in chapter 13 and chapter 14. And I want you to notice the similarity between these two verses, verse 6 and verse 14. You can see on your study sheet that I've listed them side by side, going phrase by phrase, so you can see the similarities. Verse 6 says, And the woman fled into the wilderness. Verse 14 says, And to the woman were given two wings of an eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness. Verse 6 says, where she hath a place prepared of God, verse 14 says, into her place. Verse 6 says, that they should feed her there, verse 14 says, where she is nourished. Verse 6 says, a thousand two hundred and three score days. Verse 14 says, for a time and times and half a time. And those are the two verses that help us to identify the context. Now let me show you what I mean. Now we'll look. First, at, at the period of time that these verses identify. This is number one under identifying the context on your outline. The period identified. The period identified. Now look at verse 6 again. It says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there. And here's the period of time that we're talking about. A thousand two hundred and three score days. And guess what? That's the same 1,260 days that we saw back in chapter 11. Look back there in verse 3. It's the same 1,260 days that the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, will carry out their ministry on the earth for the second time. And what 1,260 days is that? Do you remember? It's what? 
It's the second half of the tribulation period, right? We went into detail back in, in chapter 11 on that. A, a biblical year is comprised of, of how many days? Do you remember? 360. And if you multiply, and you can see it on your study sheet, if you multiply 360 days times three and a half years, which is how long the, the great tribulation actually lasts, the second half of the seven-year tribulation, if you multiply that out, 360 times three and a half, it comes up to, what, 1,260 days. And this is the same period of time. Now, look, look, chapter 12, look at verse 14. This is the same period of time verse 14 talks about. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the way that figures is a time is, is singular. It's one unit. Times, then, would be two units. And half a time, of course, would be half a, a unit. So how many do you have? Three and a half. And there it is. Three and a half years. The last three and a half years of the tribulation, the last 1,260 days of the tribulation, or if you want to look back in chapter 11 and verse 2, it's also referred to, the last, uh, to as the last 42 months of the tribulation. That's 42 months of 30 days each, which equals 1,260 days. So, what, what that lets us know is that the context in which all of these things that we're talking about in chapter 12, 13, and 14 is the last three and a half years or the last 42 months or the last 1,260 days of the tribulation period. And again, it's so important that you see that. The context in, this, in these chapters is not a past period of time. This is something that's going to be taking place yet in the future. So that's the, the period identified. And you, you may want to note the, the, the gap between verse 5 and 6. Now we talked a little earlier about the gap in the middle of verse 5. That gap was 33 and a half years. But that was nothing compared to the gap between verses 5 and 6. How long is that gap? 2,000 years. In, in fact, the gap is the entire church age because the church is not here at that time. And the whole thing is bypassed. God's dealing specifically here with the nation of Israel. And that's really the, the next point that we're going to see in verses 6 and 14. The people involved. The people Involved In light of what we've already seen th this morning in chapter 12, this is going to be simple to nail down. Verse 6 says, And the woman fled into the wilderness. And verse 14 says, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. And who is the woman? Israel, the nation of Israel. So, what we've identified so far, as far as the context of chapter 12 is concerned, is the place of Israel... In the last half of the tribulation period, the last three and a half years, or 1,260 days, and notice next, the persecution inflicted. The persecution inflicted. Now, we've already spent a great deal of time this morning seeing all the, the horrendous atrocities that have been inflicted upon the Jews down through the, through the centuries and, and right up to the, the present. But folks, listen, as terrible as it's been, we haven't seen anything yet. Because anti-Semitism will reach its most feverish pitch 
during this period of time that we're talking about here, the last 1,260 days of the tribulation period. And, and what we're gonna, we'll, we'll see all of this in further detail as we, we continue to go through chapter 12 and, and 13 and 14 over the next several weeks and, and months probably. But notice what it says down in the middle of verse 12. The, the voice John hears says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea! For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, watch this now, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. You see, after this war takes place in heaven, and that's what we're going to get into next week, this war with Michael and his angels when he's actually cast down. We're trying to set the context right now. But when he's finally cast down to this earth, he's going to know how much time he's got. That's what the, the, the verse just, it, it tells you there at the end of verse 12. He, he knows how much time he has. He knows there's just a short time. He knows that he's only got 1,260 days left before he gets the devil beat out of him at the second coming of Christ and is going to get cast into the bottomless pit. And so he is full of wrath at that point. I mean, he knows it's at the door. And so he wants to do at this point everything within his power to come against that woman. And that's why verse 12 says that he comes down and he is full of great wrath. And watch who he takes it out on. Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he was cast under the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And just like verse 6 uh, said, verse 14 affirms as well, Israel is going to seek refuge, now, now listen to this, in the wilderness. Verse 6 says, And the woman fled into the wilderness. Verse 14 says, And to the woman were given two wings of an eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, and, and watch this now, into her place. There's a specific place for her somewhere out there, in the wilderness, and if you look back in, in verse 6, you'll notice that this place is a place that she has that has been prepared for her by God Himself. And now the question I have for you, okay, now, now you got to realize that we're living right before all of this is going to be taking place on this planet. I mean, it's, it's in our time right now. And so the question I've got for you is, where is this place? I mean, this place right now is somewhere that we could go to if we had the means. We could get there probably within the, the next 24 hours. So where is this, this place? Well, we know it's somewhere out there in the wilderness, but, but where? And, and how does Israel figure out that she's supposed to go there? I mean, how does she know that there's this, this place out there? How does she know that God has prepared this place? And, and what does it mean in verse 6, where it says that God will feed her there? Or, or, or verse 14, that, that she will be nourished there? And you see, if you're going to find the answer to those questions, you're going to have to understand the next thing. And this is the prophecy interpreted. The prophecy interpreted. And I'll tell you, this to me is just an absolute trip. Because everything that we're talking about here in verse 6, everything that we're talking about in verse 14, God talked about and pictured all through the Old Testament. It's just 
that nobody knows that it's there. And because everybody wants to put this into some past period of time, nobody's looking for it to be fulfilled at this period of time. But I want you to see this, and we'll try to do this just as quickly as possible, but man, this is, this is just incredible. I want you to turn back with me, first of all, to the book of Hosea, chapter 2. And you're going to have to, to get lubricated in your, in your book to, to get to, to these things as quickly as we need to. The book of Hosea, and if you can find the Psalms, just go over to the right, you'll find the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then, bam, right after Daniel is Hosea. Hosea chapter 2, and the context, as we're going to see here in just a second, is dealing with the nation of Israel during the time of tribulation. And look at what it says, beginning in verse 14. God says, therefore, behold, I will allure her, that's Israel, and bring her into the wilderness, just like Revelation 12, 6 and 14 said, and will speak comfortably unto her, and I will give her her vineyards from thence, and the valley of Achor for a door of hope, and she shall sing there, and watch this now, as in the days of her youth, and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And what we're going to find here as we begin to compare Scripture with Scripture, is that if you want to know about this place that Revelation 12 talks about that has been prepared for Israel in the second part of the tribulation, if you want to know how she gets there, and if you want to know how God makes the provision to feed her there, he says at the end of verse 15 that it's going to be as it was in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And coincidentally enough, do you know how the Bible says that Israel came up out of the land of Egypt? L listen to it in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 11. Just, just listen. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, and beareth them on her wings. You know how it was? It was on the wings of an eagle back there when she came up out of Egypt. And check out verse 16. And it shall be at that day, and if you've been around here for any length of time, you know that every time that you find that phrase in your King James Bible, what you're going to find is that phrase is always going to set the context for you anywhere you find it in your Bible as the second coming of Christ, the day of the Lord, which is exactly the context of Revelation chapter 12. And God says, and it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi which means my husband, and shall call me no more Bailey, which is a term that had to do with pagan deities. And God is letting us know here that during the second half of the tribulation period, listen, he's going to reestablish the marriage relationship with his woman, the nation of Israel. He will reestablish his covenant with them, and things will be as they were during the time when God was delivering them out of the bondage when they were in Egypt. So you know what that means, folks? 
What that means is though the books of Exodus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy were books that give us history, you know what it's also telling us? These books are also books that are giving us what? Prophecy. These books are telling us about something that's getting ready to happen on this planet in just a couple of years. Ecclesiastes 3.15 says, That which has been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. You know what? History is going to repeat itself again. God says, it's going to be just like it was when I was bringing you out of Egypt. And turn back to the book of Ezekiel for a minute. Ezekiel chapter 20. Because God talks about the, the same thing here in Ezekiel chapter 20. We'll pick up in verse 33. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out will I rule over you. And I will bring you out from the people and will gather you out of the countries wherein ye are scattered with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out. And you know what? We've seen that take place in our lifetime, haven't we? 1948, they actually became a nation. God's been pulling that group of people. They've been scattered for the last 19 centuries. He pulled those, that, that group of people uh, together, verse 35, and watch this now. He says, and I will bring you into the wilderness of the people, and there will I plead with you face to face, watch it now, like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so will I plead with you, saith the Lord God. And again, God shows us this connection of things being for Israel when he brings them up into the wilderness during the second half of the tribulation. He says they're going to be like they were in the days when I brought you up and your fathers out of the land of Egypt. And please do recognize that when we're, we're talking about Israel during this, this, this period of time in the second half of the tribulation, please understand that we're talking about the believing remnant of Israel during the tribulation period, and specifically those who have not taken the mark of the beast. Because according to Zechariah's prophecy in Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, listen, two-thirds of Israel is going to die during the tribulation period. Uh, Zechariah said in, in Zechariah 13, 8 and 9, you don't need to turn there, just, just listen very carefully. It says, And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein, and I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried they shall call on my name and I will hear them I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God you see that's that believing remnant that will be brought into the wilderness and cared for by God the same way that they, God cared for them when he brought them out of Egypt as God said in, in, in Revelation 12 6 and verse 14 what he said is he would feed them there. He would nourish them there. And let me show you this in the book of Micah. Micah chapter 7. 
And look with me at Micah chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. Look at what God says. Feed, here it is, feed thy people with thy rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitarily in the wood, in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. In which days is that? According, verse 15, according to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt will I show unto him marvelous things. Are you checking that out? God says that not only is he going to bring Israel out to the wilderness the way that he did in Exodus, but he's also going to feed them there like he did in Exodus. And how was that? You remember what happened? They were fed with a food that God prepared and dropped out of heaven onto the earth, and it was called what? It was called manna, okay? And, and you know what manna was? Now listen real carefully. You know what manna was? Uh, according to Exodus chapter 16, verses 14 to 21, it was small, round, white cakes that God let fall out of heaven and on to the ground that God likened in, in that chapter to hoar frost, H-O-A-R, hoar frost. You know what hoar is? White. Like white frost in Exodus 16:21 said that when the sun waxed hot, you remember what it said would happen to the manna? It would, it would melt. Okay? Now, I want you to get that in your mind, Ohioans that are getting ready to come into an intense period of time of weather. Okay, now, now listen. Small, round, white little cakes, as it were, that fall out of heaven on the ground and look like clumps of white frost on the ground that melt as soon as the sun gets hot. Now, does that sound like anything you've ever seen fall out of heaven between the months of November and March in this part of the country? Kind of like snow? And I want you to turn back to the book of Job for just a sec. Job chapter 38. I'm telling you, this, this is an incredible book, y'all. Because it's an incredible God that we serve. And check out God's question here in Job 38, verses 22 and 23. Job 38, verses 22 and 23. Look at this. Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow? Or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail? Watch this now. Which I have reserved against the time of trouble. What time is that, y'all? The tribulation period. Against the day of battle and war. And what we find is that in the tribulation, God is going to feed the believing remnant of Israel in the wilderness the same way he did in the Exodus, with small, round, white cakes that fall out of the heaven like snow. Again, what goes around comes around. What's been before, God says, is the way it's going to be in the future. And you see, if you haven't figured this out yet, the reason that God has to feed them like this is that during the tribulation period, according to Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17, what it tells us is that the Antichrist will not allow anyone to buy 
or sell unless you have received his mark in your forehead or on the, the back of your hand. And so you see, this believing remnant will not be able to buy food. And because of that, they'll have to flee to the wilderness because Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4 says that if you don't take the mark, you know what the Antichrist will do? He'll make it where you won't need food anymore. He'll lop off your head, according to Revelation 20 and verse 4. So you see, if they don't take the mark, they can't eat. And if they do take the mark, they're done for. But if they're not going to take the mark, they're going to have their heads chopped off, and so they've got to get out of there. And so God has a place sitting out here in the wilderness. A place is just sitting there. A place is just waiting for His people. And you know what? Once you begin to understand these things... I'm telling you, all kinds of things start coming together for you. It cruise over real quick to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. And of course, the context here is Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives in the very place where he's going to come at the second coming. And they're asking about how they'll know that the, these, these things are upon them. And look at what he says in verse 15. He says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. And when is that? At the midway point in the seven-year tribulation. Three and a half years into that tribulation period. And when it's three and a half years into the tribulation period, and it's the seven-year tribulation period, then how many years you have left? Three and a half, right? In the midpoint of the tribulation period, when there's 1,260 days left, Daniel the prophet prophesied that the Antichrist would come into the holy place in that newly reconstructed temple that we talked about back in chapter 11 of, of Revelation. And as Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, the Antichrist, Satan, is going to come into that temple. He's going to set himself up as God and demand that he be worshipped. And Jesus says, when you see that take place, when you see the abomination of desolation take place, when you see him come into that holy place, look at the last part of verse 15. Whoso readeth, let him understandeth. And apparently, during the tribulation period, check it out, guys, this believing remnant in Israel will open their New Testament. And when they get to Matthew 24... You know what's going to happen to them? They're going to be reading about things that they have been seeing take place on this planet right before their very eyes in the, that three and a half years during the since the tribulation period started. They're going to be reading about all of that. And Jesus says, for those of you who are reading this then, make sure you understand that when you see the Antichrist break his covenant with Israel and he comes into the holy place and he commits the abomination of desolation, verse 16, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to, his, to get his clothes. You just get out of there with whatever you got, man. Get out of there while you can. Verse 19, and woe unto them that are with child. Woe unto the, the pregnant ladies during that time. And to them that give suck. In other words, those that have little children already in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever 
shall be. Jesus says, when you see these things take place, man, when you see the Antichrist come into that temple and he does that thing, man, you better run. You better, you better run to the rock. And according to Isaiah chapter 33, listen, the rock is literally what and where this place in the wilderness is that God has prepared for Israel. It's the place of the rock. And this is the last one I'll have you turn to, but turn back to Isaiah 33. This is too important for you to miss. Isaiah 33. And he says in verse 14, The sinners in Zion are afraid. This is not the believing remnant. This is the sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly. He that despiseth the gain of oppressions, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. He shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munition of rocks. And that word munition is translated in other places in our Bible, a stronghold of rocks, stronghold. Another place it's translated a castle. Another place, a fort. It's the munition of rocks. And that's the place that is called in the Bible Petra, which is in Edom, which is where Uz was located, which just happens to be the place where a man by the name of Job was, listen, when he was persecuted by Satan and goes through great tribulation and yeah I, I know the chapter divisions weren't added until centuries after the Bible was it was completed and and so most people don't think that God had anything to do with, with, with those but it is interesting to note is it not that the book of Job consists of 42 chapters just like the nation of Israel who's going to be in the same place being persecuted by Satan will go through that period of time for 42 Months And if you're wondering where Petra is, this place prepared by God for Israel in the, the tribulation period, on a map today, it would be the area that is to the, the, the southeast and the southwest of the Dead Sea, which overlaps the, the border between Israel and Jordan. It's a specific place on this planet that you could go to today. And God says, I've got a place for you there in the munition of rocks. I've got a fort that way back when I created this earth, I knew what was getting ready to come down there in about 6,000 years or so, and I carved out this one little specific place there for a believing remnant in Israel in the last part of the tribulation period. It's called the place of the rock. The psalmist said in Psalm 18 and verse 2, at the time when Saul was trying to kill David and the Lord delivered David out of his hand you know what David said listen to it he said the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer my God my strength in whom I will trust my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower and listen that's exactly exactly what Israel is going to say when God brings them through the wilderness into the place that is called Petra, the place that God has prepared for them, the Lord is my rock.
We don't have the time to go to Deuteronomy 32 this morning, but I, I want you to know, and you can check it out later, that if you go back to Deuteronomy 32, you know what? It's all about when God is bringing the nation of Israel out of, uh, out of Egypt. And you know what you're going to find in, in Deuteronomy 32? Now, listen to me. It's all there, guys. The wilderness, the eagle's wings, feeding them, the rock with a capital R, by the way. He even, in Deuteronomy 32, listen, warns of a false rock. It's prophecy, man! God's just telling you, check this thing out. It's all coming down the way that it was. And there's, in the midst of all of me bringing this, watch out now, for a false rock, a counterfeit rock, the Antichrist. And, and now listen, don't, don't pack up on me, but do, just listen. If you're here this morning, you need to understand something. That unless you are a Jew in the nation of Israel during the time of tribulation, this whole thing that we're talking about, this place of the rock, it really, it, it has absolutely nothing to, to, to do with you. During that tribulation period, if you're here and you're still alive, you will not be invited to the party out in the wilderness. You won't be invited to come into the, the place of the rock. You'll be, at that period of time, without a place of refuge. But I do want you to know something that is just really exciting about God. God has provided a place of refuge for you now. And coincidentally enough, you know where it is? It's the place of the rock. And you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 and it says, And that rock is Christ. And I want you to know something. You may not be able to go there during the tribulation period, but you can go to the rock today. You can find your place in the rock. You know what the Bible says? When you call upon the name of Jesus Christ as your only Savior, as the only hope that you have of finding the forgiveness of sin, you know what the Bible says happens to you when you call upon His name? You are placed in Christ. You're placed in the rock. And when the judgment comes upon this planet, you know what? You're safe. You're protected right there. And you know what He does once He brings you in Christ? At all times, even in the midst of everything that's going on on this planet, He gives you a place of refuge. You know what He does? He feeds you. He nourishes you. There's hundreds of us here this morning that have already come into Christ. You know what this has been for us? Spiritual nourishment. We've been feeding today on the Word of God. But you know what God was wanting to do for some of you folks that are here today? He was wanting to point you to the rock. Point you to the refuge. And listen, today, the invitation to come into the rock, it's yours. But based on what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, now that you've been here, and you've had the opportunity to hear the truth, and now that you've had the opportunity to respond to the truth, 
once that trumpet sounds and the church is removed from this planet, the invitation is no longer for you. There will no longer be a place of refuge. The Bible says you will be sent by God a strong delusion so that you'll believe the lie of the Antichrist and take his mark, which will seal your eternal destiny. But God is graciously brought you here today so that you can know the truth, so you could be know exactly what's going to be taking place here in the very near future, so that you might come to the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in just a second, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray specifically for you this morning. And as our service is dismissed, our pastors are going to be up on either side of the front of this room, positioning themselves there as an invitation for you while everybody else is filing out the back. If you've got questions about what it is to come to Christ, what it means to receive Christ, what it means to be born into God's family, then would you come today and would you talk to one of our pastors before you leave? If you're a woman, please be assured we'll, we'll have them get a woman that can talk to you in a place of privacy. We'll spend whatever time is necessary with you. But if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, man, don't let yourself get all thrilled with finding out all these little neat things that are going on in, in the book of Revelation. You better run to the rock. Run to the rock while there's still time. Let's pray. And Lord, I do pray now for people in this room that have never come to the Lord Jesus Christ with their sin, have never had their sin removed. And I pray specifically for them now that you, Father, would draw them to yourself, the Spirit of God would convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I pray that we would be spared this morning from having our intellectual curiosities stimulated through a study such as this. I pray that we would see people trans laded out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of your dear son this morning. Give them today the courage to talk to our pastors before they leave here today. And Lord, we do thank you that we have a rock, that we are secured in a place that is prepared for us in Christ and because of that we have our eternal destiny secured in heaven and we thank you today that you've nourished us that you have fed us from your word and help us to act on the truth of the lateness of the hour we ask in Jesus name Amen